back. I'm very blessed that Dr. Michael Yusuf would invite me year after year. I'm honored. I'm on his European board. Uh, when we retired from Westminster, I went off all boards but one. And um, it's how much I believe in leading the way and the work that it does around the world. We live uh, in Nashville, and just a four or five hour drive to come over, which we did yesterday, and delighted to be here today. I want to read to you two verses, Hebrews chapter 11, verses five and six. It's a reference to Enoch, and here's what it says. By faith, Enoch, before his translation, was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God uh, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. May God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this his most holy and infallible word. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your spirit to rest upon every mind in order that their perception of what I say will be received as you intend. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent instrument to say everything that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Help me to be clear, simple. May this be an edifying word and a word that brings great honor and glory to your name, I ask in Jesus' name, amen. There's a story I want to share before I bring my message today that's very special to me, and when I tell you, you will see why. When my mother was carrying me in her womb, my father and mother were visiting a church in Indianapolis, Indiana. And as they listened to the preacher, my father was so taken by the sermon and by the preaching that he tells me, and I grew up hearing this story, that he put his hand on my mother's tummy and said, Lord, let my son preach like this man one day. Well, he didn't know it would be a son. He was counting on that, but it was a son. And he told me that story as I grew up. Fast forward some 18, 19 years later, I'm at Trevecca Nazarene College in Nashville. And of the years I was there, and we had to go to chapel every day, I only remember one sermon. And it was so moving that I went to my dormitory room and got on my knees and prayed, Lord, let me do this, because the sermon was on Hebrews 11.5. Enoch had this testimony before his translation that he pleased God. And I was so moved 
And it was the only sermon in all the years at Trevecca I remembered, so much so that I phoned my dad. I said, I've just heard a sermon that moved me, no end. He said, who was the preacher? I said, somebody by the name of C.B. Cox. Dad says, that was the man preaching in Indianapolis, Indiana, when I laid my hand on your mother's tummy and prayed that you might preach like that. Well, over the years, when I think of this verse, I think of the story my dad told me, and remembering hearing C.B. Cox preach on that text that morning. Enoch had this trans his testimony before his translation that he pleased God. Well, this verse has gripped me for years. Charles Spurgeon used to say, if a text gets a hold of you, chances are you have got a hold of it. And I would have thought the greatest thing in the world would to have that God would say of you that you pleased him. Enoch had this witness, this testimony, before he was taken to heaven, that he pleased God. A couple of months ago, maybe you saw it, uh, Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh, Queen's husband, died. And we watched the funeral. And at the end of the funeral, the Archbishop of Canterbury related all the honors given to uh, His Royal Highness. And I don't remember, I think there were 11 or 12 huge honors that no man on the planet ever comes up to. And yet, I kept thinking, he was born to privilege. He was born to privilege. All these honors he did, it was given to him. And the thing is, it seems so phony that when royalty gives honors to each other, what does it count for? Well, I wondered, I wondered if the Duke of Edinburgh thought that those honors would get him to heaven. I don't know that he thought that, but it wouldn't surprise me. And then I began to think of the Apostle Paul, his pedigree. And he puts it like this in Philippians 3, verses 5 to 7. He said, circumcise the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless, but whatever gain I had, I count as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through the faith of Christ. Well, now, it says of Enoch, and this is one man described in Hebrews chapter 11, of all the different things that said about different ones, here's what the writer says about Enoch. He had this testimony that he pleased God. Now, it doesn't say he pleased his parents. Sometimes that's hard to do. 
I found it hard to do. My first report card back in Ashland, Kentucky, uh, was B's and C's. And then my father said, uh, maybe one day you'll have just B's, son. Well, I did, and then I got an A. And then he said, well, son, maybe one day you won't have any B's but all A's. And the day came, I had a report card with all A's. But I only could think of one thing as I walked home. Some of those A's were A minuses. And I knew what my father would say. I never could quite come up to the high standard. But we're talking now about a possibility. And the commandments of the Lord are not grievous, Holy Scripture says. It doesn't say he pleased his parents. It doesn't say he pleased his friends. It doesn't say he pleased his wife. I was preaching in Northern Ireland, and uh, a man came up to me and said, uh, can I ask you a question? Sure. Can your wife be your enemy? Yeah. He said, thank you. <laughs> and then he said, I sure loved your sermon on unhappy marriage. I said, I didn't write a sermon on unhappy marriage. Oh, yes, you did. It changed my life. I said, I said, I did not. And then I, it hit me. I've written a book, Thorn in the Flesh. And one of the chapters is unhappy marriage is a possibility that this could be your thorn in the flesh. And that to him was the whole book. Well, Enoch, we don't know. It doesn't say he pleased his enemies. You know what it is to have an enemy and you're trying to do the right thing? When I was at Westminster Chapel, I had some enemies, and one of them was researching a book against me, and he would come to church, and as I would preach, you know, taking notes, waiting, just waiting for one unguarded comment or something that he could, you know, get at with me with. You can't please people like that. You can't please a person who's jealous of you. Who can stand before jealousy? And about Enoch, it doesn't even say he pleased himself. In fact, Romans chapter 15, verse 3, even Christ did not please himself. But it said he pleased God. The grandest and greatest thing that can ever be said about a human being and it is a possible thing. Because you please God by faith. And it doesn't say great faith. It's faith in a great God. And that faith pleases him. It's a possible thing. Now, as for those people described in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, this is known as the great faith chapter of the Bible, one person after another, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Samuel, Jephthah, it goes on. They all had this in common. 
They did what they did by faith. And not only that, this is what enabled them to turn their lives upside down. Now, the writer was not showing us how to get to heaven by giving, uh, giving us an example of, of, of these unusual men, but in fact, they were just ordinary men that did unusual things by faith, and he's wanting us to know that we can fill that out, that we can do the same thing. You don't need to have a high IQ or great ability. Faith, believing in the Word, not based upon external evidence, just because God says it. Now, as I said, he's not telling you how to get to heaven. In fact, all these people were already saved. In fact, the whole epistle of Hebrews is written to save people. He calls them holy brethren in chapter 3, verse 1. And he wants all of his readers to come into a higher level of understanding God, a higher and greater relationship of knowing God. He calls it entering God's rest in chapter 4. In chapter 6, he puts before them the possibility that God would do for you what he did for Abraham, swore an oath to him. When Abraham was ready to sacrifice Isaac, which was an unreasonable request to ask, sacrifice your only son, but Abraham wanted to obey God, and God honored him by swearing an oath to him. And Hebrews chapter 6 hints he can do that for you. Maybe God is asking you to do something that makes no sense at the time, but because you know it's his word, you may stand alone. And it's called full assurance. Well, Hebrews 11 is all about enjoying a greater relationship with God, and it's by persistent faith. Uh, there are two kinds of faith, generally. There is what we call saving faith. There is persistent faith. Saving faith, how to know that you will go to heaven when you die. Persistent faith, it's what you do as a Christian. You qualify to have persistent faith. And it will lead to you to a greater relationship with God. And then by doing that, to come to the knowledge that you please God. Let me put a question to you. Which gives you more satisfaction? When God pleases you? Or when you please him? Well, I think if we're totally honest, we would say, I, I want him to place me. Answers your prayer. Does something extraordinary for you. Say, oh, Lord, thank you. So you love it when he's pleasing you. But then some time ago, I began to think, what an honor to please him. And I challenge you. Come to the place that you get satisfaction out of realizing you're actually pleasing him. Doing what is honoring to him. And I would challenge you, 
get your satisfaction, not because he does this for you or that, because we're living in the me generation. We're living in the what's in it for me generation. People don't ask what's in it for God. They want to know what's in it for us. I challenge you, ask what's in it for God. And what a privilege that you could actually please him. And we can do that. Some months ago, I was going through a particular trial. And I was asking God to do this. And then it came to me. I don't say this was a, a verbal word from God, but it, the idea was real. Uh, R.T., you preach that people ought to get their satisfaction out of pleasing God. Uh, you can do that now yourself. Now, yes. He may not give me what I want. He may not give me this breakthrough. He not work, may not work this out. But now I can just trust him. And that honors him. Well, Enoch pleased God and had this witness before his translation to heaven. You probably know two people in history were translated to glory without dying. Two, Enoch and Elijah, taken up so they should not see death. And by the way, the only time you please God is while you are alive. Pleasing Him by faith. You see, when you're in heaven, you won't need faith. You'll see it all. It's now that you have the thrilling opportunity. It will never happen again. The only time you can please him like this is before you die. And these are days so that you can please him. But you see, at the judgment seat of Christ, we will then give an account of the things done while in the body. You see, you won't get reward after you're in heaven by doing this or that. No. It's this side of the judgment and so it will be too late to please God after you die because you won't need faith after you die. All will be clear and real then. And those who are lost, they will wish that they had prayed the right way, that they had honored God. But it's while you're alive, the privilege of faith you won't always have this privilege. And I can tell you another thing. Not only will lost people pray when they die, but they will pray the right prayer. And by the way, what is the right prayer? Has it ever hit you? What is the first thing you should ask for every time you pray? Do you know what is the first thing? Hebrews 4.16 let us come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. That's the first thing. That's the first thing you ask for mercy. Oh, R.T., we did that when we were converted. God be merciful to me, a sinner. Whoever told you that we outgrow that? 
Who is here today who doesn't need mercy now? Maybe this is one reason you're not getting your prayers answered. You rush in and just ask for this or that. The throne of grace is protected. That I don't care how long you've been a Christian, how holy you may be or think you are. You never outgrow asking for mercy. And by the way, in Luke 16, two people died. A rich man, we don't know his name. And a man by the name of Lazarus. And the rich man was now praying, possibly for the first time in his life. And whatever is it do you suppose he asked for? He said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Saint Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm tormented in this flame. You see, people in hell will get their prayers right, but it's too late. You won't need faith after you die. You will want it. You will wish it if you're not saved. So appreciate the privilege of faith. And now is the time you can please God. And the only way to do it is by faith. In fact, verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please him. He that comes to God must believe. And two things. One, that he is. Now, this may surprise you. You would say, well, that's an assumption. After all, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You may think, well, we know that. We believe that God is, but just a minute. Stop and think about it. With every trial you have, when the devil comes along to test you, he won't get you to question whether there is a God. That's what he does. Because circumstances happen, and the devil will cause you to think along these lines, and the thought will come to you, well, this would not happen if there were a God. The best of saints go through that. God would not let this happen. If there were a God, this wouldn't happen. That's the devil. And that's why with every trial, the writer of the Hebrews knows Paul could say, we're not ignorant of his devices, the devils. And so, when you are in a trial and the devil is fighting, you hold to this. He is. He exists. He's there. I believe him. And do not listen to the devil and stand still and watch. That pleases him. But then there's more. Two things. One, you believe that he is and... That he is a rewarder of them that seek him. Some translations diligently seek him. A rewarder. Away with this notion some people have. They try to sound pious. They say, oh, I don't need a reward. Who do you think you are? Do you think you're different than anybody else? This is the way God wired us. God always motivates us in terms of our self-interest. 
For example, do you like being judged? Jesus said, do not judge and you won't be judged. Give and it will be given to you. And so, you ask, what's it all for? Ah, believe that he is and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. And you see, it's worth pursuing. He rewards those. How does he do it? He has a way by which you will know it was worth waiting for. And God shows up. Never too late, never too early, always just on time. And he sees you. He sees you. And so, some translations, you earnestly seek him. What's the point? Well, when there's a trial, a perfunctory faith won't do it. You can say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. The apostles creed is good but you need something more it's called earnestly earnestly seeking him and sometimes God brings you to the place that perfunctory faith just won't cut it but you wait and you say Lord I want to please you and he's, he rewards those who diligently seek him. Without faith, impossible to please him. But with faith, it's possible. And he will show up. And so, it's like with Job who could say, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And the bottom line of the book of Job, chapter 42, verse 2, Job says, Now I know. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. What a word. And God will give you that realization worth waiting for. And so Enoch had this testimony. The Greek means he had a witness of the spirit that somehow he knew he was pleasing God. Not anybody else. But he was pleasing God. And one day I think God said to Enoch, you know too much. You come up here. And you see, this is what was required by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. King Nebuchadnezzar had everybody bow down to the golden image. And there were three Hebrews who wouldn't do it? A few years ago, when our third grandson was born, we've got Toby, Timothy, and then when Tyndale was born, I thought, three boys, three grandsons, and I began to pray every day from that day to this, haven't missed a day, that God would enable them to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, Shadrach's here today. Uh, Meshach, he walked away. He, uh, Abednego one day will join us. You see, Nebuchadnezzar called them up and said, Who are you? Who's this God who will deliver you? And you know what they said? We don't need to have a committee meeting. We don't need to talk about it. We're not even careful. 
our God is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. But if not, we won't bow down. We won't bow down. We won't bow down. Question, dear friends, do you have the but if not faith? Our God is able to deliver us, but if not, we will not bow down. And so, you can truly please God just believe, believing Him. Faith plus nothing. As for Prince Philip, he was born to privilege. Most of us know nothing about that. But everybody can be born again. And I doubt anybody here needs this, but I will ask, do you know for sure that if you were to die today that you would go to heaven, do you? And if you were to stand before God, you will. And if he were to ask you, he might, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? If you don't know what you would say, I would urge you right now, in your heart, pray this. Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you. I know I'm a sinner. Wash my sins away by your blood. I welcome your Holy Spirit into my heart and as best as I know how, I give you my life. Pray that prayer. Confess it to the person sitting next to you. Say, well, they may not be saved. Well, good. It would do them good to hear it. Confess it. Don't be ashamed. Heavenly Father, take this word I ask, apply it by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and may our heart.